AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. So almost 20 years, and for some reason, we're still hearing about Counter-Strike malware? <laughs> uh, yes, so I guess I can't pass this story up uh, because it's got two interesting things from when I was growing up, Counter-Strike, right. and from when I'm growing up right now, malware. Uh, so apparently there's like this underground economy for you know playing Counter-Strike. So if you have like a Counter-Strike server, which is where people connect to play the game, right. and you're hosting, you can have like special privileges that you could sell. Like for example, you could sell the privilege of not getting banned or special power-ups or something like that. Um, so a lot of people are able to make uh, money this way. It's a sustainable business model for okay. some small-time operators. So this one guy has figured out a way to drive you know, traffic to him, even through Steam. So he found vulnerabilities, like remote execution vulnerabilities. So when you connect to a server, uh, one of his servers, you basically get a little component downloaded down to you. And that component, it can actually like replace the list of proxies that you would normally go to. And it could start making it so that you're starting to always go to this person. So you're persistently playing Counter-Strike on just these servers. What was interesting is how much effort the person had to go through in order to figure out these vulnerabilities. And you had to reverse engineer this game, find these vulnerabilities, set up the infrastructure to deliver these payloads, all to keep people inside of your like <laughs> server infrastructure. You know, if you think about it a different way, they could have done a lot more, uh, or this person could have done a lot more with the capability that they had uh, on people's machines. I thought it was also kind of interesting too that, you know, that I think he, he modified both the legitimate and the, the pirated copies of the game. You know, so, so people were, you know, it didn't really matter. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Right. And which always, always helps me to remember, well, never downloaded pirated versions of anything right. because they're always guaranteed to have a little bit more of something extra in there. And in fact, I think the pirated version, I think if I read it correctly in the article, they, it also had its own vulnerabilities, which he found as well. <laughs> so he found vulnerabilities in the pirated version as well. It doesn't matter where you get the software from. If you touch his servers, you will probably end up with this uh, vulnerable payload in your system. Now, the good news about this particular, uh, I guess, article or news story is that Dr. Webb, this AV company, uh, they did work with the domain registrar where a lot of this infrastructure was hosted, okay. and they were able to get all of that taken down. Oh, okay. um, so this thing is taken down now. You can't download the components anymore. The problem is, I don't think it's as easy to work with, uh, you know, the software because uh, you got to patch that. And I think some of these vulnerabilities uh, were kind of known for a while right. uh, and still haven't been patched. And uh, I definitely recommend that anybody who's interested in like reverse engineering and figuring out how some of these things work, check out the write-up because it had a lot of really good detail in it. Um, like there was data structures and it really showed you the flow of the malware. So it's really good for somebody who's interested in learning more about reverse engineering and how malware works. If you do hear about a story that concerns a product you use, take action, maybe patches, make sure your AV is up to date and things like that. Just make sure you have personally a layered approach uh, to catch as many bad things that could potentially be targeting you.
Hey, John, I hear you have a very interesting story for us today. Yeah, I, I do. Um, there is a company in Norway, which not maybe not everyone's familiar with, which is called Norsk Hydro, which is a large uh, aluminum manufacturing company. Uh, they had a situation with ransomware. In, in particular, we think it's Locker Goga, which is a fairly new version of a, a ransomware. Their local uh, manufacturing was kind of shut down. They did shut it down. They told people not to connect, you know, do all the things you're supposed to do. And then, you know, they started evaluating, you know, what do they do about the ransomware? And, and what do we tell people? Don't pay it. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the best industry practice right now is not to pay it. And, and, they, and they chose not to, which is, is great. There is no guarantee that if you paid the ransom, that A, that you'd get your files back, or B, that the infection wouldn't really uh, present itself again. So do, have they announced what they actually lost, like, or did they lose anything, or what was actually like affected, right? Like, was it HR, or was it like, or was it like their development? Like, it, it really, really, they're being fairly generic. So they're they're kind of saying that it's it's their operations. Okay. They're, they're, it sounds to me like it's the, almost like everything on the network. I mean, the actual employees <laughs> are told not to connect any devices to the company's network. Okay. A lot of these manufacturing businesses don't have quite the same level of cybersecurity expertise as others and not to knock them but you know they, they just don't think about it sometimes when you're, you're you're doing manufacturing to to have a whole cybersecurity staff to have a lot of training on cybersecurity i guess another way to think about it is uh, you know what these big machines that are used for like manufacturing or production some of them are using these regular operating system subcomponents, which make them the same as like a desktop, right. uh, like a traditional <laughs> Windows desktop. So as much as we would love to give credit to the bad guys about thinking how to hack some of these like big industrial systems, sometimes it's easy because it just happens to be on the same flat network right. and is the same subcomponents with the spreading. A lot of them, there was not too many years ago, I know I talked to a person who was in a, in the, actually, in the same kind of same business, hydroelectric, and they were still running Windows three servers. Wow! Wow! <laughs> <laughs> what were they running? <laughs> it, it, it's crazy. And, you, and 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 the thing too that always gets me about these ransomware cases is how do you know if you do pay them that they're actually going to unlock you? If you're ever in a situation where you're faced with ransomware, you have to be uh, to do a very careful thought process and probably start thinking about how did the malware get there in the first place. And you probably want to make sure you got that button down before you consider uh, you know, these other things like should I pay the ransom or not. Do we know how much they were being asked for? Like was it like 20,000, 30? Because I mean, I know a lot of places do pay because they feel like the cost of, you know, of just paying this ransom is a lot cheaper than the amount of hours or the fact or the amount of information they would have lost otherwise. So maybe to them it was, you know, nope, not worth it. We're gonna use our backups, doesn't matter how long it takes to come back. <laughs> yeah. And I haven't heard, you know, exactly the, the dollar amount. Usually it's you know, but like I said, the few cases I've seen, it's not a lot generally. Right. Um, but 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 it is it is enough that, you know, you just don't want to pay it, you know. Just, <laughs> right. It is very important to keep good backups. If you have good backups, then you can like for sure say, we don't care that you encrypt our stuff, we're not gonna pay you, we're gonna fix the vulnerability and just restore and move on from this incident. 
Hi, Jonathan. I understand that you have a story about some medical vulnerabilities. Yes. So um, I actually learned a lot of interesting things about the medical industry while looking at this story, and that is that there are devices that, you know, are implanted into your heart and are just always kind of there. <laughs> they help you, you know, but that they are also being able to monitor uh, and control it from uh, different, you know, remotely. So an advisory came out for uh, what they what they call the Medtronic Connexus Radio Frequency Telemetry Protocol. So this is actually a proprietary protocol by the company. Uh, and one of the biggest things that was found by the researcher was that there was no authentication, no authorization, and no encryption. Wow. <laughs> so your heart, there's no authentication. Correct. Your heart. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays, because everything's so accessible, we kind of have to, you know, authenticate, authorize, you know, make sure there's access controls that don't let anything talk to your device. Uh, now, one of the things about this the, this device is that it's uh, uh, it has to be short range, right? Mm -hmm. So, and also the the, the radio radio frequency uh, does is not always on, so it has to either be enabled by a doctor or by a or whoever is programming it. But someone in short range could potentially just be listening for it, and you know either do alterations, do injections, write to memory. Mm. Uh, read sensitive data, so um, there are a lot of you know scary things that you know can potentially happen. Now the company did come out and they issued a a uh, I guess a security bulletin that said that you know they haven't found anybody you know actually attacking this in the wild. They, they don't know of any customers that have been affected by it. Uh, now they said that you might also need a you know, a device that can speak the protocol, but uh, you know, I, I've done some radio frequency research in the past. If I can listen to the clear text protocol, I can replicate it. So I, at some point, I, I'm not going to need the, you know, their programming device. I can just make my own little, you know, software-defined radio program and then just send whatever I want to this thing. <laughs> so it's a little scary. First engineer protocol sounds pretty pretty easy. <laughs> so with these biomedical things now, I guess we have to be more careful about non-traditional types of schemes or non-traditional types of threats. We didn't consider this stuff before. You know, whenever I hear about stories like this, I think about like the future for us, because right yeah. now it's maybe not a lot of people have that, and maybe you do need to reverse engineer the protocol and be near somebody. Right. But as this proliferates more and more technologies of this nature, mm -hmm. it's gonna give a little bit more, it's gonna make it easier for people with like a more, uh, I guess, bad guy mentality right. to say, hey, you know what, why don't I go and uh, figure something out? Now with devices like this, uh, I think we have to think about differently. You know, you're not going to do ransomware. Oh, actually, maybe you could. Mm. You could do ransomware on your heart. <laughs> actually, that's a good one. Blackmail. It's almost blackmail to say, hey, I'll, you know, I'll, you know, if you pay me or I'll stop your heart. <laughs> yeah, I guess you have to pay then. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, because the device that you know in this case does 
use some type of electrical signal to get your heart back into rhythm, right? Yeah. Are there protections in place that control the amount? I don't know that. that you know, I didn't research it that far. I, I have no idea. Can it, can it send you out of rhythm? I ha- <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. There was, there was a whole, I think in last year's DEF CON, there was a whole biomedical workshop going on. I didn't get a chance to pop in to it in you know more than just kind of ex- outside the door, but it, it sounds like this is the type of thing that people are looking at. You know, is, is how do I how to access these devices remotely? You know, that maybe from a non-authorized user perspective. If there's anybody out there creating a new protocol, please security first, then business second, or maybe a mix of the two, because at some point, not taking care of that security will affect the business. Let's take a look at this week's internet weather. Um, so this is our top 10 most pro ports. This is uh, how we measure the volume of scanning on the internet. Uh, and so this week, compared to last week, there's not much movement. Um, so I randomly selected uh, this port, port 81 TCP, to go through it a little bit more and understand uh, what's behind that. Port 81 TCP is an alternate web port, and I think Several years ago, there were many vulnerabilities um, on IoT-type devices, DVRs, and Soho-type routers uh, that were impacting this port. So let's see what's going on today. Here you have the blue line that represents scanning activity on port 81, and right behind it, you see the red line, and that represents all activity on port 81 that we see. As you could see, they look very similar to each other. That is, a lot of the activity on port 81 is related to scanning. Um, so, uh, let's analyze what's going on. So, I looked at our honeypot data, and I was trying to understand, like, when people connect to port 81, what are they doing? What kind of packets are they sending? What are they trying to do? And I saw a bunch of different things, but there were two things that jumped out of me the most. The first was related to the IoT malware I mentioned. Right. It's pretty old. Um, there were even blogs about it in 2017, but even before that. So a lot of scanning for this login. So they're still scanning for it. Yes, exactly. Okay. People are always scanning for this. Okay. But another thing that I saw, and it was just kind of onesie twosie type situation on port 81, was related to this URL uh, right here. Here it is on Virus Total. 18 uh, vendors out of 70 are detecting it as malicious. Okay. So this one was using actually the Apache Struts exploit, and this is kind of like what it looks like okay. um, that it, what it was doing. And when it downloads the malware, that malware has 54 out of 70 detections on virus total. Uh, And even you could see uh, the comments uh, that people post up there when they upload the malware. You could see this is very similar to what our honeypot is seeing. So there's lots of people out there on the internet seeing similar activity. But let's go in and let's check out the malware sample. So uh, this malware sample is actually uh, packed, UPX packed. But once you get past that layer, uh, one of the things I like to do the most, especially when I just have a little bit of time, is strings. Strings is one of the most telling things you can do with malware, just to see what it looks like. And when you do that with this sample, you could see there's a URL to an additional sample, like maybe a second stage. Okay. Um, and then there's this reference to Black Moon, uh, which immediately, you know, I take that phrase, I search it in Google and see, does anybody else know right. about this? And I found there's quite a few articles from 2015, which is like four years ago, um, about like spamming and the Trojan, that's a banking Trojan. It's a banking Trojan that's targeting, I think, South Korean uh, 
kind of uh, victims, okay. uh, which is interesting. Actually, Proofpoint, the company, did an analysis on Black Moon Trojan, banking Trojan. And uh, when I saw this part of strings, I understood why. If you look here, these are strings related to sending email. So, email right? um, so perhaps this has like a spamming component as well. Mm. So when you become infected with it, you might start sending spam as well and try getting people click on it, which right. makes sense for why Proofpoint would have seen it in a campaign and, and try right. to do a blog about it. Right. All right, let's download, let's kind of download the second stage and see what so that's about. you got about. that, the second file, yes. okay, cool. So let's go look at that and see what that does. And right away, I see something interesting. I always pick out things like this. There's actually a misspelling. I don't know why bad guys are in a hurry. <laughs> uh, they always want to like do things quicker. I guess they're so optimized, uh, but here they spelled the word group, group wrong, wrong yeah. and it's group. And those are the types of things that I think a lot of like security researchers kind of zoom in on. Um, and here you go, similar domain, different port. There's configuration files that could get downloaded. And the other thing I noticed is that it's got more EXEs inside the EXE. So this second stage is a dropper for more things. <laughs> so you know I can't stop there. I gotta go and I gotta look deeper. Um, so what do we have? So when you look at it a little bit more, you could see there's a whole section inside of this EXE that's related to just vulnerabilities. So this right here, this part, that's the vulnerability that has to do uh, with Apache struts. Um, but then this one is the ThinkPHP vulnerability. And this is some sort of a Hydra vulnerability I'm not familiar with. Okay. Other strings here refer, refer to double pulsar, which is uh, an exploit that was used for distributing WannaCry. Okay. Um, now port 445, there is reference to Mimikatz. <laughs> Actually, as I looked at it more and more, there were all kinds of subcomponents within the second stage right. malware that can do many more things. It's like a mishmash of like some of the worst malware and techniques um, that we've seen over right. the past few years. Uh, and really, one comment, I really liked it, that's why I put it out here. <laughs> you know, this, I, this IP address that's doing it is from China. So this guy is saying that a Chinese threat actor is attempting to drop Mimikatz, coin mining, by exploiting Apache struts. The only thing that, you know, is not listed here is it's actually trying to do other things as well. We were able to catch it because it was scanning and trying to exploit port 81 TCP. Uh, but it's clear that the adversaries behind it are trying to do much, much more. So that was uh, uh, a little bit of excitement. Let's get into more <laughs> excitement with the most sources probing. So most sources probing is our measure of like botnet activity. Yeah. Uh, if there's a lot of devices scanning on a particular port. And again, um, everything here uh, is something that we've seen before, uh, something that uh, we've talked about. So I wanted to zoom in on port 5431 because uh, I guess we haven't talked about it for a while. Now this port we actually have talked about quite a bit. I've talked about it, John, uh, Matt, uh, Wool described it. And so in this particular situation, what I see is the scanning activity kind of comes the and peaks, goes. So yeah. This is 90 days, but then sometimes it's a little wider. You could see here probably in the last 30 days, the scanning has been sustained over a period of time and, and instead of just all of the devices all of a sudden doing it. Right. So there's some kind of a change. So I wanted to go and see like who's doing the scanning. What are these devices? And I like to throw them up on the geographic map because it really helps me understand what's going on. You could see there's like a lot of hotspots in here. You know, you don't see China scanning. You don't really see Russia scanning that much and not much in Africa either. But there's the specific like India, 
Um, and you got countries Brazil. here like Brazil. Colombia. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and some places in the US as well that are hotspots. Usually when I see that, it's letting me know that maybe there's a specific country or an ISP that's using a specific type of a device. That's interesting, yeah. And maybe they're deploying that to a lot of their customers and their customers are maybe becoming infected or something like that. Um, I decided to go and check out what are these devices. And uh, basically what I found is some really old, I feel like today's episode is all about throwing things back to like back in the day. <laughs> So this one is probably from like 2013, okay. uh, Sans Diary, and this is actually exactly what's happening. This is exactly what we're observing. And also, um, there's a CVE or an exploit as well. Uh, so I did more device profiling. If you connect to the device, you'll see that it'll send you this string called uh, whatever, BRCM400, which is kind of letting you know it's device. vulnerable. Yep. And there was this person, unfortunately I don't have the name here, but in 2013 wrote uh, um, an exploit to show how one of these types of devices could be vulnerable. vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, uh, the difference between this white paper and what we're seeing right now is, uh, you know, somebody bad is, do is taking control of all of these, you know, thousands of devices uh, that are in these geographically dispersed hotspots. Uh, whereas this person was trying to raise awareness to the Right, issue. right. Uh, but here's approximately how it works, and it looks like, uh, you know, that's what it is. You know, we now have a seven-year-old device, and no way to tell these people to maybe get a new device, or the fact that they are probably part of this botnet that just keeps on recycling itself. So I, I feel like that's a normal problem with devices like this. Yeah. You know, some consumers, when they're buying a device, Rightfully so, they're like, wait, well, I just bought it. This is the thing. Do right. I need any more? Um, so uh, they're probably going to be keeping some of these things around for a while, yeah, especially right. if they meet the purpose. Uh, you know, not everybody is going to be changing their device every year. Um, so that's kind of uh, the internet weather for this week. A lot of interesting findings. Thank you, Stan. Of course. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.